Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Are all your fears washed away? All right. Well, that's great because we've got a good God and a great king. Thank you, choir and students and children. What a way to start the day. If we can only start every day like that, raising palms and saying, Hosanna, yes, you may be seated. And truly, do you believe what we were just singing? All my fears are washed away. You know, what does that mean? That means something, doesn't it, church? Does it mean that your fears are washed away? Then you could walk up to anybody and say, let me tell you about who we were just singing about, our good Lord, our Savior. Hosanna, save us. If we really mean that, we ought to be able to say it to others. But sometimes we need a little bit of encouragement, don't we? We need the rock beneath our feet to be strong. So as we've been doing Since the start of the year, let's pray that we would have our fears washed away, that we can be bold with anyone to speak about our Lord and our Savior, our good, good Lord and King Jesus. So pray with me, church. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. That's from Acts chapter 4. We're going to keep it in front of us all year so that we are bold people, so that we can walk around. Our fears are washed away. What do we need to be afraid of anyway? We live in a great, great country where we can talk about whoever we want with, oh, maybe somebody will call us a name. That I think we should be able to take. Our Lord went to the cross for us. Think of all that he took for us. And we have really been looking at that for the past number of weeks on Sunday mornings. Been calling it the way of the cross. And the way of the cross, that's uh, traditionally, that that is a look, a consideration of the last hours of the life of Jesus Christ. But on Sunday mornings, we have been considering the way of the cross, since the beginning. Because the cross, our Lord, our Savior, he's been a plan since the beginning of time. Jesus is, as the word of God declares, Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the foundation, the creation of the world. Now that means there was a plan in place, the plan for Jesus, the lamb, the final perfect sacrifice who was hung on a cross to make satisfaction with God for the offense of sin. That plan plan for the cross, it was set in motion at the creation of the world. And we've taken time to consider some of the signs and the references to the cross that point to the cross, that speak of it, whether it's an illusion or whether it's explicit. We've looked at it in the Old Testament. And this morning, we're gonna move into the New Testament. Look at the final week of Jesus. As we heard from the opening of this morning's service, where Brother Robin, we had two students with him to read from the Gospel of John about the opening of that final week 
of Jesus' life as he comes into Jerusalem for the final time, the last Passover meal. We want to look at that this morning. And then, as he moved through that week, he ended on Friday being betrayed, the, the, the day that we call Good Friday. And I do want to just reiterate what we heard at the open about our gathering and our service on Good Friday from 1 to 3. It's going to focus on the traditional way of the cross. We are going to look at the last hours of Jesus' life. Uh, from the point he was betrayed until the time he was hung on the cross and ultimately gave up his life. And we want to take time and look at various scenes. We're going to have nine scenes of that walk to the cross, the way of the cross. And we're going to look at it and meditate and reflect on it and be able to apply what our Lord has done for us, apply it in our lives today. So invite someone this Friday. Invite them to come out and be a part. If they can be here from one to three, and there are some things out in the foyer, you can grab invitation cards, grab them, invite people. Because God saved us from the penalty of sin with the plan of the cross. And this morning, we back up about a week from that Good Friday time. And it's part of a scene, if you will. It's, it's a scene on this overall way of the cross from the time of creation. And it's this day that we've, we've known. It's, it's called Palm Sunday this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I want to look at this event in Jesus' life and how it relates to the cross and how we might be able to take something from this uh, event, this scene in Jesus' life and make application today in our own lives because that's important. So first, how did Jesus approach this last visit to Jerusalem? All four Gospels give an account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem for this, his final time, what's called the uh, triumphal entry. And you get a clearer picture when you overlay the Gospels. You get a clearer picture of the totality of the event because each Gospel writer gave us different details. We heard from the Gospel of John already this morning. We're going to be now looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to touch again on the Gospel of John. But I want to begin with the Gospel of Luke to give us some idea of what was happening as Jesus made this approach to the capital city, the city of Jerusalem, where the temple of God was. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And it reads this way, as the time approached for him, for Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now Luke, in this one short little verse here, he gives his readers some interesting detail. He wrote, the time is coming close for Jesus to be taken up into glory. Now that's one way of saying he's going to die. That's kind of a subtle way. And it's also forward-looking. It looks forward to the resurrection, to the ascension of Jesus. So without being explicit, Luke points to this idea that something's going to happen with Jesus. This is going to be his last visit to Jerusalem before he dies. And Luke also put something in this little verse 
about Jesus' frame of mind. Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. Luke wrote, resolutely. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So that is, he was on his way with intention, with purpose. He was unwavering, and he was not going to be stopped. How might we say something like that? He was on a mission. He was on a mission. Have you ever said to somebody, you look like you're on a mission? Or have you ever been, been stopped? This happens to me quite often, actually. I, I, I just sometimes, I have tunnel vision. I am going some, and I am just, you know, just like that. Now, you see, I just caught these guys on the, on the, on the camera off guard, right? I, you know, and I'll get, hey, what, you know, you didn't stop and say hello to me, and I'm on a mission. I'm, don't stop, don't get in my way. Uh, I am going with intention. I have something to do. I have purpose in mind. And if you distract me or you pull me, I just, you know, and I know myself. I'll stop and I'll be off and I'll be going the wrong way then. So we've all encountered people who are on a mission, Right? Jesus was on a mission to go to Jerusalem. He was resolute. Don't get in his way. Peter, one of his closest companions, he tried to get in the way. And we get some insight now from Matthew's gospel. Matthew writes about Jesus going to Jerusalem. Matthew 16, this is verses 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So we get a little more detail into Jesus' resolute, intentional drive to get to Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to face. Luke was a little subtle about it as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. Now, that's a line you got to think about. you got to take a minute to say, well, what does that mean? But Matthew, he just put it out there plainly, didn't he? Jesus was going to suffer. He was going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed. You don't have to think much about that. He put it out there plain and straight. And he also included an explicit reference to the resurrection. On the third day, be raised to life. So Jesus knew where he was going. He knew plainly, and it was recorded plainly, he's going to be killed. And yet, he remained on his mission, resolute, intentional. Now think about that. He knew what was coming, and he was not going to be stopped. Peter didn't like what he heard. He tried to interfere. How did Jesus respond? Get behind me. Peter, you're being like Satan, an adversary. You're not thinking about the things of God. What do you have in mind? 
You have human concerns in mind. You do not have the things of God in mind. Jesus had in mind his Father's will to be done. And as he made his way, there was this great crowd of people with him, followers, his disciples, and they trailed behind him. They were going to be met by a city that was bursting at its seams, a a city that was overflowing with people. The city of Jerusalem was beginning to swell. It was getting close to this annual Passover and festival of unleavened bread, it's called. Now, this is a high holy day of Judaism, the Passover. It was their independence day. Day for the Jewish people to celebrate their independence from Egypt. That the Egyptian pharaoh had released the Hebrew people. Set them free from bondage. What got Pharaoh's attention? If we just look back in time. It was that the firstborn in all the land had died. Except for the Hebrew people who obeyed the instruction of God. They were passed over by the angel of death. Hence the name Passover. And this great annual celebration followed by a seven-day festival Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for this celebration. A great crowd of thousands was with him, and thousands more were coming throughout the land to the capital city to celebrate Passover. Jerusalem had a population of about 30,000 normally. It was going to swell up to 10 times that size. 300,000 or, or perhaps upwards of half a million people. And as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, he happened upon a village, Bethany, just a couple miles away. We heard that earlier from John's gospel. And there Jesus was making his plans for his entrance. And Luke's gospel tells us the story with other details. This is Luke 19, verses 29 to 35. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And they were As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Here again, Jesus is being intentional. He's resolute. He has a purpose in mind. And what is the purpose of this colt? Why? He'd come into Jerusalem before He didn't need an animal. He didn't need a a, a mount. He didn't need to be riding anything. Why did he need a colt? Why now? Matthew's gospel gives us an explanation. Matthew 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew reaches back. He reaches back to the Old Testament. He points to the prophet Zechariah. If you were here last week, you know we talked about prophet Zechariah. He was like a second Isaiah. 
He was a prophet active in the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. It was being restored. Zechariah was prophesying. He prophesied the cross, the piercing of Jesus. We talked about that last week. And he also prophesied the coming king on a colt. Matthew, the gospel writer, recognized that. So he said, let me tell you why Jesus did that. Zechariah 9.9 tells us, your king comes to you lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus was purposeful. He knew it was his last time into Jerusalem for the Passover, and he fulfilled what the prophet had written. And as he approached the city gates on the colt, People were everywhere. Remember, this city is swollen to 10 times its normal population. People are, are, are smashed in. They've got to be overflowing outside the city gates. And Luke 19 tells us this as Jesus came along. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John 12, 13 gives us this detail. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. The crowd with Jesus. Why were they there? Why were they following him? We read in Luke, they'd witnessed his miracles. So they, were, they had seen what Jesus was capable of. His reputation had gone before him now. So these, these people were with him, and they were following him. A great crowd, we read. And then suddenly with Jesus astride this colt, the crowd, it seems, does something spontaneously. Do they recognize the prophecy of Zechariah? Maybe a few of them did. And then it seemed to just spread. People start taking off their coats, throwing them on the ground. They're getting palm branches, putting them on the ground, waving them, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Blessed is the king of Israel. They hailed Jesus as a king. And Jesus, through all of this, he's maintaining his focus. He's resolute. Do you think he's craving all this glory? Do you think this is the reason he's doing this, all this adoration? No, he's aiming for something, and it's the cross. The king was going to the cross. When he was crucified, the Roman governor Pilate hung that on his cross, king of the Jews, and he put it in three languages so nobody would be confused at all. This king, this king's entrance into Jerusalem, it was another step on the way of the cross. It was all about Jesus' sacrifice, what he was going to do for you and for me. And the adoration of this king, I believe it's not just pointed to from Zechariah chapter 9, but also Psalm 24. Psalm 24 reads this at the, the close of the psalm. It says, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, 
that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. The crowd seemed to be wanting and desiring and a king that would be a conqueror. And this psalm, Psalm 24, was written by the conquering king David. And it points to a time when this king uh, was in Jerusalem, but the Ark of the Covenant of God wasn't. We've talked about this psalm before. It's a, it was written about the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark was placed in the heart of the temple, the presence of God came down on this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And David, in this psalm, he referred to the gates of Jerusalem opening wide to receive the ark of God, the presence of God, to receive the very presence of the king of glory. And now here it is over a thousand years after King David wrote Psalm 24. And Jesus, the living ark, is coming into Jerusalem as king. He's being hailed as king, the true presence of God, the king of glory, the king of kings is coming into the city and he's being hailed as such. But King Jesus knew, he, he knew that this adulation and, and this adoration would fade. He entered into Jerusalem on this big wave of populism. The people just loving him. They're having a great time It's a high time. They're celebrating independence. They think, oh, this king has come to save us from Roman tyranny. But the sentiment of that crowd in that city and many who hailed Jesus as king, it would turn. What happened to all the people who shouted Hosanna? Where were they a week later? Were they shouting We have no king but Caesar. What happened to the Hosannas? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. These shouts of adoration, they grew silent. And some may have actually turned to say, we have no king but Caesar. The one who was hailed as a king just a week later is going to be crucified on the cross. Now, in all of this narrative, all of this account, what might, what, what might we receive in our lives from this triumphal entry, this scene in the journey of the way of the cross? And I ask, have you lifted up the gate of your heart? Is your heart open? Have you opened your heart to let the king of glory come in, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And I trust most of you here, and I believe most of you here can answer that question. Yes, yes, I've opened my heart. I've opened my heart. I've opened the gates of my heart to let in the king of glory. Are you resolute? Are you as resolved to keep your heart open as much as Jesus was resolved and on a mission to give his life for you? Jesus, knowing what he would suffer, we read he knew he would suffer many things and be killed, and yet he was on a mission, on a mission to face this thing, to go to this cross, 
for you and for me? Do I have that resolve to keep my heart so open to him, to keep him there all the time? Or am I going to be like that crowd a week later and say, I got no king but Caesar? How quickly we turn. Do we recognize the weakness of human nature in this crowd that hailed Jesus as king and took part in killing him less than a week later? How long? How long did it take? Hardly any time for for one who was shouting, you're my king, to just be in silence, or worse yet, hailing an earthly king. They openly rejected Jesus. Isn't it easy to praise him like we did this morning when things are great, things are wonderful? Yes, we can wave our palms and say, you're so good. You are so good. But when something gives us a little bit of pain, are we saying, you're so good? Remember those Hebrews coming out of bondage in Egypt? They were enslaved 430 years. God liberates these people. They celebrate their first Passover. They saw extraordinary miracles of God. How long did it take them to turn against their leader, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here, they complained? We would have been better off staying enslaved. Really? Were you saying that when you were walking out of Egypt with all the gold and the silver and all their clothes and, and you, had, uh, you had plundered the Egyptians? Were you saying we should have stayed? No, you were saying we should go because God is good and he did all these great miracles. And now we're saying, hey, would have been better off to stay enslaved. What about us? What about us? Do we share in that same quickness to turn our hearts, to close the gates, to push Jesus out when we feel a little pain? How often do we push away Jesus and shut the gate of the heart? We need to re- keep our resolution. We need to, to keep on our mission. We need to keep our hearts open to the King of glory. Jesus was focused on the will of God. He was focused on on spiritual matters, not the matters of man. He was focused on the cross and the plan. He knew that he was the lamb slain from the creation of the world. And he maintained his mission. He entered hailed as a king, knowing full well he was going to be rejected. Do we stay strong knowing we're going to be rejected? Will we stay resolute and committed, committed to stay the course, doing the will of God, knowing that suffering and pain is in front of us? knowing that rejection awaits. I know it's hard. I know. I've been tempted. We all have well-meaning people in our lives like Peter, and they try to redirect us. When the choice is the right way, we know it's God's way, and we know staying on the path with Jesus is the way we should go, but there's this other option of going the way of the world. And it might be an easier way. It might be a less painful way. And you might have a Peter there rebuking you, saying, what are you doing that for? Why are you going that way? You call that the right thing? You're going to get hurt. 
You know, if you get married, you're going to lose your child support. You don't need to do that. You're going to get hurt. You're going to lose. You're going to lose something. Or how about this? You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose your friends. What is that? You know, it's just a little gossip. No big deal. You can stay there and talk about that. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not bullying. It's just a little hazing we're getting involved with. So be a part of it. Because if you don't, you're going to be rejected. Hey, there's a bachelor party tonight. Bachelorette party. Come on. It's going to be a great thing. You should go. If you say no, you're going to be shunned. Come on. You're not going to see anything there any, any more than what you see on the internet. So come on, let's party. You're going to be marked as an outcast if you don't do it. Yeah, there's some pain. There may be some hurt. And you might have someone in your life telling you, don't do that, even though it's the right thing. But are we going to stand up for Jesus and stay committed to our faith and maintain our integrity? When there's these Peters in our life, get behind me. Get behind me, adversary. Get behind me. And you know what? Sometimes I'm the adversary. Sometimes it's me talking myself out of doing the hard thing. Has that ever happened to you? You're going to rationalize and justify doing the easy thing because the hard thing is challenging. Keeping your faith is challenging. You know, knowing there's purpose in the pain can be difficult. But I want to be able to be here and stand up and sing, you are good. And I don't care about the pain. You never let me down. You never let me down. You know, if you can sing that, even though you had some pain because you kept your faith, then that's a great thing. When we know it's the way and it's the right way and the way that Jesus would have us go, let's stay strong and let's stay resolved. And if we need to, let's ask for help. I know I've had to ask for help. You know, Jesus prayed and he asked his friends to pray with him. You know what he said? Well, this was on, on, on probably the hardest prayer of his life. He said, pray that you won't fall into temptation. Yeah. Temptation to leave him. Turn on him. I want to pray. I don't fall into that temptation. Lord knows, you know, hard times come. We've seen our... We've kind of seen our fair share of, of these little needling troubles and even some big ones here, right here. I've had little minute ones. When my mother passed, we had a, a, we had a flood in our house, a little flood, so I had the floor torn up and I got to go out. It's an annoyance. It's kind of a, kind of a pain. But these things start to, they start to add up. We've had a real string of uh, funerals here. A big part of our office staff has been hit with a really, really hard sickness. We've lost people for a week at a time. It just seems like you know, these, these attacks of the enemy are coming. And I, Am I going to get discouraged or am I going to say, you're good, you never let me down. You're good, you never let me down. Man, it's easy to get discouraged and say, ah, enough of this. God's not listening. No, he's listening. 
I want to pray I don't fall into temptation. You know, when, when we've had uh, tragedy strike too, and so we're going to pray. We're going to pray, and we're going to pray for some of these. And I, and I want to invite you to these altars. You can pray. And ask God for help. If you need more resoluteness, because I know I, I, I could be more resolute. I can be more intentional. I want to be on my mission. I don't want to pray for others who need need help. Eileen Dunkley, she's got a fracture in her back where she previously had surgery. She's seeing a surgeon on Monday. Frank Fabian, he's been having complications with platelet infusions, maybe internal bleeding. Josie Jones is having total knee replacement on Tuesday. Anna Tadi was diagnosed with cancer in her lungs, in her spine, ribs, lymph nodes. Uh, she needs a miracle from God. John and Barb Olive are asking for our prayers. Sarah Key's grandfather, Victor, has been in the hospital since the 6th. He's had heart and blood pressure issues. Mary Vitelli's niece, Colleen uh, Tafali, is diagnosed with MS. And uh, we want to pray for uh, the Swartz and the McPeak families. Um, Taylor Swartz lost uh, her husband, Joseph, this past Thursday. Uh, he passed away suddenly, young man, 23. And that touches our office, too, because that's Brian Swartz's son-in-law. It's just another, you know, another one of these, ah, oh, where we have to stand and say, Lord, you're good. You're good. You never let us down. There's pain, but there's purpose in the pain. I want to pray for these families. And there, there's a service for Joe that's going to be next Saturday in Bethesda's chapel. It's uh, going to be at 11 a.m. You can come at 10 to visit the family. We want to pray for these needs. And I want to invite you to these altars to pray. If you've got a need physical, if you got a need spiritual, if you got a need whatever, come and pray. Our elders are going to be here. Elders, come. Come right now. The, the Word of God says, if you are sick, call on the elders of the church. And they'll anoint you with oil, pray the prayer of faith. We want to do that this morning. But again, I want to encourage you. If you've ever felt that pull to lose your resolution, come on and pray. You know? Jesus told his disciples, pray, pray. Let's, let's listen to our God. Father God, thank you for the, the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know he won the victory for us on the cross and he stayed on his mission and he was focused and resolute. And God help us to do the same, regardless of what comes our way. These little nagging things or a, or, or a great difficulty. God, you can help us. And Lord, these needs that we've mentioned, Lord, be in them. God, touch those that need a physical healing, those that need help that we've mentioned, whether it's back pains or, or, or fractures or blood not doing the right thing, cancers, God, it's nothing too difficult for you. And we pray that you'd intervene we ask for the power and the presence of Almighty God to visit each one that we've mentioned, 
comfort the Swartz and the McPeak family. They need you. God, be the rock beneath their feet. Be their strong tower, their mighty God, their Lord and King. Today, tomorrow, and all the days ahead, comfort them, keep them, strengthen them, and us too, Lord. As people come to these altars, Lord, as people come to, to kneel before you, to bow before you, to humble themselves. Lord, use these elders as channels of blessing. Lord, we pray that you would anoint them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, where one person can chase a thousand, two can chase 10,000 together, their faith together, God. We pray does miracles in people's lives. Bring us to a place of strength, Lord. Strength and resoluteness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.